That's the only time I'll say follow the crowd, yeah. This is a good crowd to follow. <laughs> if you're staying here, we're going to hear from the Lord, from His Word again. I invite you to turn into 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're just going to read a few verses out of that chapter. <clears throat> and then keep your finger there and flip over to Matthew chapter 8. So yeah, 1 Corinthians 12, we're going to read verses 7 to 9, and then we're going to read Matthew 8, 1 to 17. The topic is healing, and this is the first of two messages about that. We're still in our series on walking by the Spirit, and specifically different gifts of the Spirit right now. So we're turning our attention to healing. So let's read 1 Corinthians 12, 7 to 9, and then we'll flip over to Matthew 8. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. Matthew 8, this is the ministry of Jesus. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, with no one else in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we are treading on ground here again that is mysterious to us. 
the supernatural breaking into the natural. This is the area where there's skepticism, doubt, unbelief. Do you really do that? Did these things happen? Would you open our eyes and our hearts this morning to see and know and believe that you act this way even today? Would you raise our expectations? Would you give us a right understanding about your healing? May Jesus be honored. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yesterday, some of us did some fall yard cleanup for seniors. And it was a beautiful day for cleaning up outside. Very satisfying to see how the uh, the two... Um, women that we served really appreciated that. We're really blessed by that. Um, at the end of the time of the place where I was, uh, I asked the woman if we could pray for her, anything. And uh, she said, yes, I've been on this drug for the last 38 years, which has this side effect that it eventually attacks your liver. Well, I just went to the doctor a few weeks ago and they did a blood test and they said, my liver is failing. So would you pray? Because she was very worried about that. So I prayed for the Lord to heal her liver. Whether the Lord answered that prayer or not, I don't know. But one thing I do know, I did not pray with a lot of faith. I prayed for her because it was the right thing to do, not because I really believed the Lord was actually going to do it. Have you ever prayed that way? What's your own expectation when it comes to miraculous, instantaneous healing of somebody? We often ask the Lord to heal us or heal someone. You know, prayer requests, what do we throw out there? Well, so-and-so is injured or hurt or whatever, and we, we pray for that. So praying for healing is something that we do all the time. But do we really believe that God might just miraculously do it? Not only through the grace of modern medicine, which we are going to pursue, and he is responsible for that kind of healing, but do we believe that he might do what Jesus did in this passage, and the fever left her immediately, or the leprosy was cleansed right now, or he said the word and the servant was healed? Do we really think that when we pray, those things could happen? My hope is that if we look at the scriptures this morning, our expectations will rise. And we'll pray with more faith. Not just that it might happen or if it is your will, but Lord, do it. And just to get this out there right of the right up, get get this out there right away. We know that God is not going to heal everyone. Johnny Erickson Tata has been in a wheelchair for 51 years, and she's made peace with the fact that God is not going to heal her paralysis. So God's not going to heal everyone. Some suffering will not go away. And so next week, Dan is going to preach about suffering from Psalm 73, because that is an experience that we have to live with in this world. So I, I encourage you to come back and hear what he has to say. 
about that. But my goal today is to encourage you that God's will for suffering is not always that it continues. But sometimes it's that you get relief from it. In fact, I suspect the Lord will do it a lot more if our hearts are in the right place about this. If we're in the right place to receive it. So let's just get to the text. I want to start with an observation from our reading in 1 Corinthians 12, which is that miraculous healing is for today. It really is. Miraculous healing is for today. 1 Corinthians 12, Paul lists these manifestations of the Spirit, things that the Spirit gives to the believers. And they include things like word of knowledge and wisdom and faith, but also one that's lifted is gifts of healing. That's talking about miraculous, spontaneous relief and cure from bodily illness or injury. That's one of the gifts Paul says in chapter 13 is going to continue until the perfect comes, until Jesus returns and ends this present world of suffering and ushers in this new world without suffering. But until then, there will be gifts of healing along the way in this world. It's part of what the Spirit is still doing. It's part of what Paul says we should earnestly desire and Chapter 14, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. We've seen the Lord do it in our midst. Not very often, but we have seen it. Miraculous, instantaneous healing. A couple of years ago, you know this, most of you know this anyway, um, the elders and wives gathered around Dinah, Dinah Lovano, we asked the Lord to heal just one of the several chronic conditions that she has. One of them was stomach pains that she's had for 35 years or so, continuous abdominal pain. We prayed. She felt heat in her abdomen. Instantaneously, the pain was gone. Other symptoms related to her other illnesses also went into remission at the same time and stayed that way for the next two years. She recently went to the doctor for her new blood work and the doctor told her she no longer has lupus, which is a disease for which there is no cure, and she had it. She doesn't know if that's when it got cured, but she's been told she doesn't have it anymore. I think the Lord gave an instantaneous gift of healing that day. I could give you many other examples that I've read about from credible sources. Some of them are mind-blowing. Some of them are the kind you're like, well, I know God could heal this, but definitely not that. And yet we have examples, healings of broken bones, mended like that, chronic asthma, gone away, brain trauma, healed. Disabling back pain, gone. Advanced stages of AIDS, HIV, AIDS, total healing. My favorite one, though, is this account that comes from Sam Storms. He's pastor of Bridgeway Church in Oklahoma, was my teacher for a week at the pastor's college. He was in the middle of writing a sermon, and at that time, he didn't believe that the gift of healing was still for today, and he was about to say it in his sermon. <laughs> But he got the mail early that day. It had a letter 
from somebody from Wales. He didn't know anybody in Wales. So he thought, hey, look at this. That's not usually what you do when you're writing your sermons, I find. I don't open mail. I don't want to be distracted. So he finds this letter from Wales. He opens it. It's a woman that includes it, who wrote to him who knew he didn't believe in the gifts. And she said, I just want you to know about this story of a friend of mine, what happened to her. I'll, I'll read it in her own words, what happened to this woman. She said, well, let me, let me give you some background first. She had advanced multiple sclerosis, okay, MS, um, to the point that she couldn't use her legs. She couldn't use one of her arms. She could barely see. She could barely speak. She was completely incapacitated. She needed 24-7 care. Here's what this woman says. I said goodbye to my husband at five minutes to six on that Monday morning, a helpless woman. At 6.15, my mother gave me a cup of tea. At 6.20, my father and mother lifted me from my bed, strapped me in the chair beside the bed, put a bell in my good hand to summon aid if needed, and left me alone. Mother went to get my washing water. My father had gone to get a towel from upstairs. Then, in a matter of seconds, when I was all on my own, my Lord Jesus healed me. I felt a warm glow over my body. My left foot, which was doubled up, straightened out. My right foot, the toes of which were pointed towards my heel, came back into position. I grasped the handle of my bedroom door, which were about of the bedroom door, and said, By faith I will stand, which I did. She goes on to say she regained not only her ability to walk, but also her sight and her speech. Her parents came into the room, and they were completely amazed. Needless to say, Sam changed his sermon. <laughs> and he has seen hundreds of healings in his church over the years. The Spirit still provides gifts of healing, even for what we would consider the most far-gone cases, things that you can't come back from. Now let me comment on a common misunderstanding about this gift. Is there such a thing as the gift of healing? In other words, does Paul mean that the Spirit gives some people the ability to heal others at will, like he gives some, ability the, some people the ability to teach or to exercise mercy, basically whenever needed? The answer is no, he does not. That's not what Paul is describing. He doesn't call it the gift of healing, but he says gifts of healing. And in fact, it should be translated gifts of healings because that's literally what it says in the original Greek. It's the exact grammar as in verse 10 where Paul speaks of various kinds of tongues. It's not various kind of tongue, but various kinds of tongues. So here, the grammar is gifts of healings, not the gift of healing. This language has two possible interpretations. Gifts of healings could mean that the healings themselves are the gift. The Lord gave Dinah a gift of healing on that day. If he heals another one of her, her illnesses, it'll be another one 
And she can say, I have been given gifts of healings. It could be that the gifts that are the healings themselves. The other possibility is that the Spirit grants gifts of healings through some people more than through others. To another is given gifts of healings, it says. In other words, it's something like prophecy. Anybody could have a prophetic word, but some people seem to get them a lot more often than others. Likewise, some people seem to see healings as a result of their prayers more often than others do. And they could have a gift for praying for certain things and not for others. I was reading about Terry Virgo. He's uh, the leader of one of the church movements similar to ours. He said, I could pray for people with bad backs and they'd get healed all the time. But if you brought me something else, I didn't know what to do with you. (laughs) Gifts of healings. It could be the, the healings themselves or certain things. People just are, they pray and it just seems to happen more often than with others. But nobody has the gift of healing where you can simply lay hands on anybody and heal them just because you want to. Paul doesn't teach that, nor did he practice it. God used Paul to heal a lot of people. In Acts 28, he was shipwrecked on an island. The whole island came to him and he healed them all. And yet he said in 2 Timothy 4.20, I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. This is one of his co-workers, co-laborers in the gospel. He left him sick. He didn't heal him. Paul couldn't heal everybody at will. Only Jesus had that ability. And even he didn't exercise it with everyone. Nevertheless, healing is most certainly a part of what the Lord wants to give his church. He gives gifts of healings. It's not wrong at all to want that or to expect that, just as it's not wrong to want or expect prophetic words or teaching or mercy or any of the other gifts. Miraculous healing is one of the ways the Spirit is for our common good. It's His manifestation. It's what He wants you to experience. It's not just this inordinate craving to be relieved of everything bad. That can be a bad motivation in us, but God gives healings instantaneous, miraculous, right now, in this, in this time. So that's my first observation. Let's, let's turn a corner and let's ask a question. And we're going to be in Matthew 8 the rest of the time. Here's the question. Why? <laughs> Why can we expect the Lord to heal people today? If they... If healings outside of the gift of modern medicine still occur, why do they occur? Why would God do that? I want to show you two reasons why from the ministry of Jesus in Matthew 8. And the first reason is this. It's because God is compassionate. Our God is compassionate. As in Psalm 103, just as, our, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. <laughs> and we see that. We see that heart of God in Jesus' ministry. Matthew gives us a snapshot here. He, he collects all of these vignettes, these accounts of Jesus healing people. He crams them all together back to back. 
He wants to teach us something. And he shows us what Jesus is like. First, there's this leper. He comes to him for healing. He's an outcast. Because you don't touch lepers. Not in those days. Lepers have to go down the street and say, unclean, unclean, so that people will know, hey, there's a leper coming. Get out of the way. They live with this constant sense that I'm outside of the community. I don't really belong in normal life anymore. Always living with this shame. He comes up to Jesus. He says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. I like the New American Standard translation on this. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus touched him first and then said, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately he was cleansed of leprosy. You see, Jesus didn't just heal the man's disease, he healed his heart with his touch. You might be untouchable to everybody else around you, but not to me. First he touches him. I am willing. That's compassion. That's the heart of our God. That's not just a transaction. Oh, you want healing? Well, I'm in a good mood today. So sure, go ahead. No, not at all. (laughs) He loves this man. I I have compassion. I want to touch you. I want to do what nobody else will do for you. Next, a Roman soldier comes to him, a centurion. He's a leader of a hundred soldiers. He has this servant lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly, is his description. Jesus doesn't hesitate. He says, I will come and heal him, even though this guy is one of the enemy. This is the occupying force. <laughs> Rome governs Israel. They're They're outsiders. They're the ones who will make you carry their military backpack two miles. They're the ones that are crucifying citizens who get out of line as an example to everybody. Don't mess with Rome. And yet, Jesus says, I'll come. I'll come and heal your servant. Because Jesus is drawn to terrible suffering. He is, after all, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And he would soon be crucified himself. So he goes to Peter's house. Peter's mother-in-law lying there with a fever. He doesn't even hesitate. Touches her hand, the fever leaves her. Everybody else finds out Jesus is in town. He's at Peter's house. (laughs) they all come. Everybody come. Many people come and they all want to be healed. And it says he healed all who were sick. Matthew puts all those stories together to show us this is a part of his ministry. Healing wasn't sort of a once in a while kind of a thing with Jesus. You know, it's been a while since we've had anything really miraculous to talk about. So I better heal this guy of his blindness or of his paralysis or whatever. It's not like that. He's, he's, he's welcoming it. It's, it's, it's flowing out of him. It's part of what he does. It's him showing compassion because he's a savior. 
Jesus cares about suffering. He's not indifferent to your back pain or your autoimmune disease or brain trauma or cancer. We don't have a God who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin, according to Hebrews 4. He understands bodily affliction. That's why we can draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need, says the author of Hebrews. Sometimes, as Jesus demonstrated in his earthly life, that grace includes relief from our bodily afflictions. It's on the basis of compassion that we can expect God to heal today just as he did then. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He didn't come become uncompassionate just because he ascended to heaven and now he sits on a throne. Rather, it's from his throne that he has authority to exercise his compassion in healing now. That was impressed upon me. That was impressed upon me freshly when I went to the pastor's college course a couple of years ago to hear Sam Storms teach on the Holy Spirit. And I, I I went to him after one of the sessions, it was about healing, and I said, Sam, I'm just cynical. Because I've preached I've I've prayed a hundred times for people people to get healed and they never get healed. I've never seen it. So what am I supposed to do with that? <laughs> And you just said, don't stop praying, but believe that God is a good father. And ask on the basis of that. <laughs> he hasn't changed. He is compassionate. So believe that God is a loving father who wants to give good gifts to his children and pray according to his heart. Appeal to his heart. And keep praying. The next week we prayed for Diana and she was healed. Now you could say, that's a coincidence. Well, I don't believe in coincidences. I only believe in God incidences. And I think there's a connection. I think God was saying, see? Believe. Believe who I am. You leave the results up to me, but believe. I am good. I'm a good father. So, why does he heal? Because he's compassionate. Here's the second reason. It's because bodily healing is something Jesus purchased for us on the cross. Bodily healing. He purchased that on the cross. That's what we see in verse 17. After he heals all the people that come to the house, Matthew writes... This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Now, if you're a serious Bible student, and you know where in Isaiah that quote is taken from, you'll notice that the wording is different from the original. It comes from Isaiah 53.4, which is the chapter about the suffering servant. That's the chapter about the servant of God who stands in our place as a substitute for sinners. 
the one who was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. All we like sheep have gone astray. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's what happened at the cross where Jesus was crucified for our sins. That whole chapter is about forgiveness of sin through Jesus' substitutionary death in our place. And Isaiah 53, 4 says, He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. But Matthew rewords it in verse 17 as, He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. And he says that's what explains Jesus' healing, healing ministry. That Isaiah told us that the suffering servant was going to heal people. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. But Isaiah didn't say anything about illnesses or diseases. He spoke about griefs and sorrows. And in the original context, that seems to be about the grief and sorrow of sin. So did Matthew make a mistake? Is that an inappropriate creative license with the Old Testament, as some have charged? But it isn't that. It's not a mistake. Because Matthew's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit so that what he wrote is God's very words, God's own application of Isaiah 53.4 to the ministry of healing. So how do we work this out? How can he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows mean he took our illnesses and bore our diseases? I think we could summarize it this way. The removal of illness and disease is a natural result of Jesus bearing our sin. You remove the problem of sin, and you can remove the problem of the illnesses and the diseases that flow from sin. You see, all bodily affliction owes its origin ultimately to man's rebellion against God. Not all of your bodily afflictions are the result of your sin. They're not. But illness, disease, and death exist in the world because they were introduced through Adam's sin, and we've inherited that world. Adam and Eve lived in a perfect world. They could have lived forever if they'd have just obeyed God. They could have eaten from the tree of life and lived forever. But what did they do? They ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which they weren't supposed to do. And the world fell. And the result of their disobedience is driven home in, in Genesis 5. Adam lived 930 years and he died. Seth lived 912 years and he died. 905 years, Enosh, and he died. Generation after generation after generation lives and then dies. Death and all the processes that lead to death are the result of man rebelling against the author of life. It's sin that has broken the world and broken our bodies. But what has the suffering servant Jesus done? He has taken away our sins. And because he has dealt with the root problem, he can deal with the consequences too. By taking away our sins, he can take away our diseases. This will happen in a glorious completeness in the resurrection 
for all believers in Jesus Christ. He's purchased your everlasting health. Think about that. There are no hospitals in heaven. No more cancer, no chronic pain, no migraines, no death. That's all certain for the believer. Jesus purchased that bodily health. But he's not against giving us a foretaste of it today in miraculous healing. His compassion leads him to do it. In fact, Matthew says Jesus' healing ministry in this life is to be expected. It fulfills what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Not just resurrection life, but miraculous healings fulfill Isaiah's prophecy. So friends, miraculous healing is for today and it's, he does it because he's compassionate and because it points to the power of Jesus to take away the underlying problem, which is our sin. It's like what he said when he healed the paralytic who was lowered through the roof by his friends. He said that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, rise, take up your bed, and go home. The physical healing was the sign of his ability to forgive sin. Let me ask one more question. This is where the rubber hits the road, I guess. Can we do anything to see the Lord heal more often? Because we want healing to happen. We can't just leave this in theory. Okay, I believe that's still for today. I believe stories that happen somewhere out there. I don't know where, but somewhere it happens. We've got to go beyond that. Can he heal you? <laughs> Can he heal the place, person that you're praying for? Will he do it? <clears throat> Can miraculous healing become more common among us? And I have to say, based on what we've already seen, yes. Yes, it can. Gifts of healings, plural, is one of the manifestations of the Spirit that we're to eagerly desire. And just like prophecy, what you eagerly desire and pursue, you are more likely to see happen. Again, we have to be careful to remember that just because we want someone to be healed doesn't mean they will be. Jesus didn't heal everybody he could have, and the Spirit apportions gifts to each one individually as he wills, not as we will. We might want it, and he might say no. Paul the Apostle cried out on three separate seasons of prayer to have God remove his thorn in the flesh. And he didn't get healed. Instead, what he got was grace sufficient for you while you have the thorn. God's grace doesn't always come in the form of healing. It sometimes comes in the form of you sustaining you without being healed. So we have to keep that in mind. But the fact remains that gifts of healings, plural, miraculous cures, are part of how the Lord builds up his church. It's a gift. 
of the Spirit that's available to us. And we can eagerly desire it. We can't force God's hand to heal anybody. But I do believe we can position ourselves to receive healings more often. I see in Matthew 8 three things we can do to make it more likely that the Lord will give us gifts of healings. The first one is humble yourself. Humble yourself. The leper came to Jesus and he knelt. Proud people don't kneel. Proud people stand and point. But he comes and he kneels, if you will, as a posture of submission, humility. The centurion says, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. This is a guy who's used to ordering people around. He's got a hundred people that he can tell what to do, and they have to do it. But when he comes to Jesus, he says, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. But I do know what you can do. Just say the word. And so Jesus said, go, let it be done to you according to your faith. Humility. Healing is more likely where humility is present. Because God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. James 4, 6. Healing is an expression of the grace of God. We aren't worthy of it. We're sinners who deserve only judgment. We've never done a thing in our lives to deserve healing. Quite the opposite. We've done a great many things to disqualify us from healing. And yet we have a merciful God that we can appeal to. We can bow to him like the leper did, a leper did and said, if you are willing, you can make me clean. No demands, just requests. Humility is a good environment for healings to occur. Here's something else we can do to make it more likely for the Lord to heal miraculously. Exercise faith. Exercise faith. We see that in the leper, the centurion. They both come to Jesus. <laughs> they know he can do it. If you will, you can make me clean. The centurion, just say the word. They know. They know he can do this. There's faith there. Jesus even said to the centurion that he had greater faith than anybody else he'd seen because he understood authority. He understood that Jesus can say the word and it'll be done. Most people didn't get that. <laughs> but faith was involved. He said to the centurion, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. Faith in Jesus is for in Jesus to heal is fertile ground in which we can expect him to heal. Now we need to be careful with this because it's not uncommon to hear somebody say, if you just have enough faith, you will be healed. It's common to hear that. Some will claim from Matthew 8, 17 and other passages that since Jesus purchased physical healing on the cross, 
the only barrier to that healing must be your lack of faith. So if somebody prays over you for healing and it doesn't happen, it's because you didn't have enough faith. It's your weak faith that is to blame. That's a terrible thing to tell people because that's not true. Faith isn't mentioned in the healing of Peter's mother-in-law. He just did it. I ask you, whose faith do we credit when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead? Not Lazarus' faith. He was dead. Not Martha and Mary or anybody else because they didn't believe it was going to happen. That he, He's been dead four days. There's going to be a stench. But he healed Lazarus so that they would believe. If you read the story of the invalid by the pool in John chapter 5, he's been an invalid for 38 years. Jesus comes up to him and says, do you want to be healed? He says, well, I can never get down to the water. But he heals him anyway. Later on, he sees the guy and says, you're better now. Go sin no more. <laughs> Something like that. But he never says thanks. So here's a guy who's dejected before he's healed. He never even asks for healing. And afterwards, he's not even grateful. That doesn't sound like faith was involved at all. In fact, in John's gospel, faith is never mentioned as a condition for healing. So we can't make faith a necessary condition for healing, and we can't blame a lack of faith on a lack of healing. But, that said, there does seem to be a strong connection between faith and healing in the scriptures. That it's a soil if you will, in which healing is much more likely to happen. It's not an absolute condition, but it is a common condition. Faith that Jesus will heal. And it could be your faith to be healed or somebody else's faith that you will be healed. Just a few examples. There's the woman with the flow of blood in Matthew 9. 12 years, spent all her money, no doctors could help her. She touches Jesus' garment and he said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. There's a connection. When the people lowered their paralyzed friend through the roof in front of Jesus, Mark records that when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Not just the paralytic, but the friends. Their faith enters into the equation. Acts 14, Paul meets a crippled man. He had never walked in his life, and he saw that he had faith to, meet, to be made well. He saw that he had faith to be made well, and he was healed. So it does seem that faith for healing, faith to be made well, is a common condition for the Lord to heal. And I think that's in line with the principle that the Lord blesses faith rather than unbelief. He loves to encourage faith. He won't act in our unbelief to encourage that. Though sometimes he, pray, he just heals by a sovereign act of his will because he wants to do it. Friends, our God is a father who has compassion on his children. 
Our God is one who sympathizes with our weaknesses. Our God is one who rejoices over us with singing. He is grieved at our suffering and he has sent his son Jesus to bear our griefs and carry our sorrows. And sometimes that looks like him taking our illnesses and our diseases away and giving us relief. If we really believe these things, then it will help us to pray with faith. And the Lord is inclined to reward faith. And then that leads to the third thing we can do to see miraculous healing, which is to pray. Pray. I'm not going to spend much time on this one because that's actually the whole next sermon. (laughs) We'll have healing part two. Two weeks from now, Dan preaches next week, and then I'm going to preach. And that's all going to be about the actual practice of praying for somebody to be healed. What would that look like in this context? What would that look like you and somebody else in your, in your discipleship group? Um, that's what we're going to talk about. Our main text for that week is going to be James chapter 5, which includes this instruction to confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. There's a part for everybody to play in this. But God himself says, pray that you may be healed. So this isn't just some crazy, yeah, every time I feel sick, I want to be healed, and God, you should heal me. Uh, You know, this fascination with, with healing. No, that's, that could be in our hearts, but God says, I want you to pray. I want you to ask me to be healed. So that's the next sermon. I'm not going to preach that sermon right now. <laughs> Come back two weeks from now. Let me just close with this. In our church, we are well taught that God uses afflictions for good. Psalm 119.71, It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. We know that God uses suffering to do good things in our lives. And Dan's going to preach about that next week. We're well taught on that. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. So we have this category in our minds where whenever I'm ill, whenever somebody's seriously injured or whatever, God's probably doing something in the heart. He's working on us, sanctifying us, changing us, and we've got that down. We know that. But I wonder if we're as certain that sometimes God's will is to remove that. And to stop the suffering. I have not provided the balance on that teaching. Which is why we're having two sermons on healing and only one on suffering. Because we get the suffering part, we get the sanctification part. But I don't know that we have necessarily the faith about the fact that God intends to heal. So, two weeks from now, we'll pick that up again. Salvation is not just of your soul, but also of your body, ultimately. The Lord is going to permanently heal everyone who comes to Jesus. That's guaranteed. 
We just want it to happen more often in foretastes. And he wants to give it to us. Let's ask him to do it. Lord, at your invitation and your exhortation, we earnestly desire that you might give us gifts of healings. We thank you for Dinah and how you did that in her life. We don't expect that should be the last one. We don't expect that should be the, the frequency once every 10 years. No, I think, I think you want more than that, Lord. So would you, would you prepare our own hearts? Would you help us to take this to heart? That you're a loving God. That we don't come to you with presumption, but we do come with expectation that you're going to be good. So, so work that into us. And be honored by the healings that will come, just as you were honored when you rose Lazarus from the dead. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.